We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We are reacting to the 2021 NFL Draft on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We are going to be talking more about rookies, where they landed, what we think that means for their dynasty outlook in this episode. But before we pop into that, Curtis, I was offered this trade yesterday. Uh, in one of my dynasty leagues, my quarterback is Matt Ryan in this league. The trade that I received was this person wanted to send their 702 and Kirk Cousins for my fourth round pick. In this league, I did not want to be entering the season carrying two quarterbacks. What do you think might be creative ways to counter an offer like that? Because I wasn't really sure where to go with trying to come back with a counter for a trade like that, where they're offering me a player that I don't really have interest in in a late pick for my fourth, you know, what's something that you might try to counter that with? Uh, a couple clarifying questions, but you know, this is, this is yep. the stuff, man. This is uh yeah, this is, this is why we do what we do. Um, okay. So uh, is there a player on the board that you were interested in with the fourth round pick? Yeah, that's question. a great question. There wasn't, which is why I was trying to come up with some way to move it. Okay. And I had I had the trade partner in hand, which was good. Okay, so that's good. Um, like just to, I mean, the, the easy thing to look at is who do you prefer between Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan? I mean, I would much rather have Kirk Cousins in, in Dynasty. So really the question is, 
um, if you were to accept this, how do you get something for Matt Ryan? Is that a possibility or does he, you know, these shallow, shallow one quarter, one quarterback leagues can be a little bit tricky to your point. So the first counter would probably be uh, instead of getting the other owner 702, I think that I try to send Matt Ryan back uh, to the other owner and just get an upgraded pick next year. So if they want your fourth, there's clearly a player they're targeting uh, and and they don't need Kirk Cousins. Well, that's fine. I'll give you Matt Ryan back. But next year, I want to upgrade, you know, a fifth to a third or something uh, and don't ask for their 702 this year. Or if they're trying to get rid of that, that's fine. I mean, you might have to have some dialogue. Uh, you might not get there through just straight up counters. Um, but that would be one option. You know, the other option is to accept the trade now and then, you know, work on it up until cut down time. Try to float the Matt Ryan uh, Matt Ryan to uh, an owner who is invested in the Falcons offense, maybe the, the new Kyle Pitts owner, the Calvin Ridley owner, um, allow them to to stack that up there. Uh, or maybe there's a, a dynasty owner in your league that's, you know, named like, um, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a Falcons play on words in their, in their uh, team name, you know, the, in Atlanta Homer in your league that you can uh, pawn, pawn him off on. That's less likely, but it, Hey, it's, it's possible. I would lean towards just accepting the trade because I, I like the idea of buying years on Kirk Cousins um, and am generally excited about, you know, the Vikings offense with uh, Jefferson there and Thielen still not dead. Yep. You know, I think Cousins uh, is one of the most solid quarterbacks in fantasy um, from year to year to year. He's not going to disappoint. And, it, it, you know, you never know, man. You never know. Somebody could get injured between now and cut down time. And, you know, you could even get more than you would suspect for either player. So, I think it's actually pretty reasonable value and I wouldn't really try to get awesome. Cute. I that's a great response. We don't have to talk about, you know, like the context of that and what I'm actually going to do. But I thought that that was a nice illustrative type of trade, uh, you know, for you to break down where your thought process might go. So I'm glad that I asked that. And I hope that's useful to people that might be receiving similar offers in the coming weeks. Let's get right into it, though. Now, with Michael Carter, another running back to lead off the episode we talked about Trey Sermon going to San Francisco going to the New York Jets not as exciting as going to the San Francisco 49ers we have Michael Carter uh, a player that is 200 pounds 510 has decent speed you know an okay athletic profile very good shuttle time though 99th percent shuttle time shared the field with Javante Williams who managed to fly up draft boards this offseason. But still, all in all, when I looked at a lot of metrics, despite sharing the field with Williams, Carter nor- normally did pretty okay. Tough team to go to, though, I think. We don't know a lot of exactly how this team is going to function there this year. They recently signed Tevin Coleman. I don't think that should be a reason to be scared off of Carter uh, or really any other of the backs that they have there right now. Not that they're going to operate the same way, but to give a little bit of perspective, this was a team where Frank Gore had 187 rushing attempts last year. Next player was LaMichael P. Ryan with 64, followed by Ty Johnson at 54. This is a hard question to really break down, but what can we expect from Michael Carter as a New York Jet? Well, the first way I would uh, break it down, you kind of started by saying it's not as exciting as Trace Norman landing and in, in San Francisco. But, uh, you know, what New York really is, is San Francisco East mm-hmm. now. I mean, we have uh, Robert uh, Sela as you know, it's his squad now comes over from the 49ers and he brought some familiar guys over with him, including Mike LaFleur, 
uh, he was very instrumental in the 49ers uh, offensive build. He was their passing game coordinator for the past three seasons. So um, the intent here is to build uh, an offense that looks very similar um, to what San Francisco does. Um, so, you know, as we talked about in, in the last episode, you know, these value running backs, these non-first, second round running backs are, are always going to have appeal appeal, and, you know, the Shanahan zone run scheme. And I think that um, many of the film, uh, the film heavy uh, fantasy analysts and even, you know, the NFL analysts really liked the idea of Michael Carter fitting in his own scheme. He's a guy that, you know, can make players miss. Um, he has uh, good hands. And since there's no other strong back uh, in New York right now, it's very likely that he ends up being a bell cow. Now, he might be the bell cow on a bad offense, um, but I could see some like early career David Montgomery appeal here um, where, okay, you know, it, he's going to be out there every week and, you know, the touch count's going to be there. It's just, will the offense be any good? Um, that's kind of the way that I would approach this. He's just not the type of, you know, he's coming out in, in a class that had some excitement at the top, whereas David Montgomery came out in a class where, you know, there really wasn't necessarily a truly elite mm-hmm. back. And so people got excited about his name because running backs rise up the board. Michael Carter's probably the same level of prospect as David Montgomery, if we're being fair. I mean, I really don't think there's that much of a difference. Uh, the difference being that we have Travis Etienne, uh, and and Najee Harris in this class. And so it makes Michael Carter look like a second-class citizen. Um, so that's kind of the way that I see this. Um, Carter is, you know, in FFPC formats, he's he's going pretty early. I see him right there at the one-two turn. I, it's still very difficult for me to swallow the idea of selecting him before Rondell Moore or before Terrace Marshall or before Rashad Bateman, those types of guys. I think that's a tactical error and dynasty formats, I do think Michael Carter has some redraft appeal, um, especially early on for our zero uh, RB uh, drafts uh, and, and best ball formats, especially. Um, so that's really, really where my attention's focused on a player like this. Um, cause, cause the value's probably gone. Like the, the value on, on Michael Carter was in leagues that draft before, you know, the NFL draft or, or leagues that maybe started the rookie draft before his name would have been called. Yes. So, I um, have a very similar take on this uh, as you do. As I mentioned in my or in the first episode, I was able to select Rondale Moore in a draft after Michael Carter was taken. I do not want our listeners letting that happen in their leagues. Like, don't let that be a thing. That said, I actually, as you started talking, made the note to myself that the thing I wanted to introduce was to me, Carter actually makes for a decent pick this year in redraft. Uh, and a lot of that goes back to players that you're able to project at the position for significant volume. Uh, he is going to be one of them. And I think that a lot of people, because of the fact that it's New York, it's a new coaching staff, we don't know exactly what to expect, are going to want to discount that. Uh, but really, if you're looking for running backs, right? Rookie running backs, Blair has done a lot of work on this, tend to be pretty useful for redraft teams. Um, And that normally comes later on in the season, but with where you're likely to be able to grab him, you might already have your one or two running backs on your team that bridge that gap from the beginning of the season to the end. So I I actually don't mind that all, especially for our listeners with those zero running back teams. I think that Michael Carter could be useful. And just because he's going to New York, that does not preclude him from giving you RB two weeks, right? Like that's still in play with the type of volume that could possibly be there. 
Also, as I mentioned last week, uh, Sean Siegel sold me a little bit more on the upside for that offense with Wilson being in there, a player that could hopefully prove to be fairly dynamic and help this team write the course, turn the direction around. So I am more on board with him as a redraft play than as a dynasty play. It sounds like you are in agreement with me there. Any closing thoughts before we move on? Yeah, um, and, and I really don't mean this to come across as hot takey, but I think if if everyone just, I mean, just listen to this at face value and then and then try to craft a counter argument, Michael Carter probably is the safest bet to have the second most uh, touches of any rookie running back this year. I mean, I think Najee Harris is is the leader in the clubhouse. But Trey Sermon, um, Trey Sermon in San Francisco, we know, you know, we talked about Trey Sermon a lot last episode, and we like him in that in that scenario. But until we know what happens with Raheem Mostert, who has been good at times, uh, and Jeff Wilson and some of the other players that are there that who who have had touch share in the past, that could take a little bit of time to to iron out. Travis Etienne lands in Jacksonville with James Robinson, um, who was a very effective. Uh, Javante Williams is going to be playing second fiddle to Melvin Gordon, presumably. So that leaves Michael Carter. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I, I actually, I think I believe that Carter's the, the, the safest bet uh, for the second most touches by a rookie running back in 2021. And so, you know, that's that's material to how we should be valuing him and, and, and read. Absolutely. Right now, he has a positional ADP of 32 at the running back position in FFPC leagues. And that's running from May 1st uh, through May 10th with the ADP that I pulled in there. It's possible we might see that move up. But I think given what you just said, he will still remain a pick that is reasonable and worth it, even if that ADP creeps up. Let's talk about Des Fitzpatrick a wide receiver out of Louisville landing in Tennessee. We actually mentioned last episode that for a player like Nico Collins, Tennessee might have been a more exciting landing spot than Houston. Here is the breakdown on Des Fitzpatrick. Played four years at Louisville, 21 touchdowns in 45 games, scored nine touchdowns as a freshman uh, also posted a receiving dominator of 0.26 that year. Never got back to that level on his career receiving dominator of 0.24 did score 21 touchdowns. As I mentioned uh, in terms of his size, he's six. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One 208 pounds, 78th percentile speed. 
Um, I don't really think that unless you have any anything else you want to add, there's much to note in the profile other than that he is, of course, 23.2 years of age, something that we don't like to see. Naturally, we have to talk about the fact that Corey Davis vacates 92 targets. You no longer have Jonu Smith there, who saw 65 targets from the tight end position last year. Josh Reynolds is now in Tennessee. Do you think that we see a situation where Fitzpatrick challenges him and is the wide receiver too in Tennessee? And how excited should we be about this? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I mean, I like the landing spot. Ryan Tannehill tends to make uh, the most of his wide receivers, uh, the ones that end up in the starting lineup. I mean, it's an efficient passing game. Um, I think Fitzpatrick was brought in to be a field stretcher. I mean, it's really, you know, where where he made his impact in the Louisville uh, passing game, especially as his career wore on and quarterback play uh, was less strong. Um, he, I mean, in over his final two seasons, I mean, he's averaging over 18 yards per reception. Um really you know really remarkable in that department i mean josh reynolds is a seasoned veteran he's going to be able to come in and, and learn this this offense and contribute more readily um so he would be you know he he would be the leader in the clubhouse for that wide receiver uh, wide receiver two spot uh for me for this year and perhaps beyond uh if he endears himself to uh, to the offense but i think fitzpatrick is he has way more interest uh for me now than he had um at any point um throughout the process just because Reynolds you know while being solid uh, he's certainly not a player that's like going to be impossible uh for for a rookie to to outplay I'm not sure how good Reynolds actually is you know he was playing with some other very good wide receivers and perhaps just didn't face the types of coverage that would uh prevent him from producing at times you know when you have it's not too hard when you, when you have Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup uh, running opposing uh, secondaries out of the way. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's a that's an optimal situation. Reynolds is going to have to actually earn uh, earn whatever he gets in Tennessee now. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean Fitzy, you know, I think he's he's a he's a dynasty dart throw in your rookie drafts. I don't think he has any redraft appeal. Uh, just to clarify there, uh, that that's that's. That's all I got. Yeah, you know, I'm not that far off. Um, we've actually been in a lot of unison. This is a, this is an interesting thing. We've had a bit of a mind meld as a result of doing these podcasts together. Hopefully, we can still be divergent enough to offer some varied opinions here. But I think in a lot of these cases, with players at this level, the case is pretty cut and dry. I would be surprised if we see him year one beat out Josh Reynolds. But with the way that this wide receiver course constituted now, there's no reason he can involve and perhaps eventually become the wide receiver two in, ten- in Tennessee, which could have some fantasy allure. Uh, having said that, though, I don't have too much enthusiasm. And some of this goes back to We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I was brushing off that research and working on the article out of wide receivers that log snaps in a career. We had 765 of them since 2000. A reminder, only 22% of those players ever logged a top 36 wide receiver season. 
and I could be wrong on this, but I believe that the percentage of players that do it twice is actually only 14%, which is why we can't get too enthused about all of these rookies. So that article is on the way because I know that I said that I would be working on it. Wide receiver that I am excited about, though, Curtis, and I liked him heading into the process. I think he gets one of the best landing spots not so much because of the team, because of the quarterback or the coaching staff, but just because this team needs receivers. Why not get why why not him? Amon Ra, St. Brown, out of the University of Southern California, 21.2 years of age, broke out as a junior at 21.2, scored seven touchdowns in six games last year. Um 50 50 okay all right uh, you know 50th percentile 40 year dash i have to bring down my level of enthusiasm there is really hoping to rifle through the things uh great great bench great broad great vert but i'm not even sure that i have to sell people on the profile just because he is going now to an offense where he's going to be competing with tyrell williams Brashad perriman neither player that was there last year the team used a 112 on him I think that you can make a compelling case if you'd like as to why Amon Ross St. Brown should be one of the more exciting rookie wide receivers that we have as a function of his landing spot. Yeah, I'm really torn here. I, I do think in retrospect, and, and I like the way that you framed uh, last week's podcast and this week's podcast, just kind of going through sequentially on the players, because when you look at profiles, it is absolutely nuts that uh that St. Brown went after Des Fitzpatrick. So I actually not um, to cut you off here, but I have to mention this. <laughs> I wrote on uh the Friday of the draft, I picked out a couple of players and preemptively wrote profiles and prepped for a couple of landing spots that they might have. Uh what happens? Dwayne Eskridge starts getting picked, Des Fitzpatrick. I don't even get to publish my St. Brown piece because of how late he ended up going. Yeah, it's 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 pretty weird. Um, I, you know, I think he he deserved to go before the end of day two. Um, yeah, so it's dis- it's disappointing that he lands here, but at least he does end up in a spot where you know there's there's volume to be had. I think unquestionably, T.J. Hawkinson's the most talented pass catcher on the team now. We've got a garbage situation at quarterback. Uh, this reeks of a team that's going to try to overachieve with what they have uh, early instead of committing themselves to to a long term build. So I'm a little bit um, a little bit concerned um, about that. I, I wish they would have actually aimed lower than Jared Goff. I understand that it, you know taking on that salary was part of the deal with the Rams and whatnot, but you know this would have been a better situation to see like a Cleveland Brock Osweiler. Uh, deal like they made with the Texans a couple years ago. I'd rather just see them, you know, truly develop someone and tank uh, for that 2021. But perhaps they think off is bad enough to to truly tank on his own. Uh, but back to to St. Brown, you know, we talked about him um, in the in the evaluation process, and he's always going to be one of the most interesting mm-hmm. guys just from a profile standpoint for me because of the family, the family situation. So Equinemius uh, is his older brother, you know, came into the league with the Packers. Um, his brother Osiris is a, a receiver at Stanford now. His father John Brown. You know, you get all these crazy names. His dad's name's John. Um, <laughs> I just love that. He's a former two-time Mister Universe bodybuilder. Like this, like he comes from this. He's elitely bred. 
Um, and so I think there, there's something there, there's something to that. I mean, he's clearly going to be able to you know find a place on the roster here uh, and submit himself as an option throughout the duration of his first uh, contract. When you look at his size and then the needs of the Detroit offense, so he's sub six foot height. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the athletic measurables, you know, he's, he's a slightly above average athlete, but he's not a dynamic guy who's really creating tons in space. He's a solid route runner, just dependable guy. I think he's a best fit for the slot yep. in the NFL. Yep. And that does make him a little bit appealing, uh, a little bit appealing for me and, and Detroit, a team that could be trailing a lot, could be checking down a lot in garbage time. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a, probably more on St. Brown due to landing spot than I was early on. Um, but then that's tempered by the round four draft capital. So he's a player I'm kind of watching. Um, I don't think you really reach for him. Um, he's not like the landing spot doesn't put him up in like that, you know, the tail end of that second tier receivers, like with Elijah Moore and that for me, like he's, he's definitively below yep. those guys for me, but he, you know, he, he is maybe a guy that you trade up for, to the to the early parts of the third round of your dynasty rookie draft and select um or if he's the last receiver that gets your juices flowing at the end of the second even i don't think i can poke too much of a hole in that if, if it's a mandatory start three wide receiver league so yeah i mean i think the draft capital is the only thing he doesn't have going for him this is a, a pretty solid landing spot and uh yeah, I think we're mostly in lockstep on on St. Brown yeah. here. And hearing you mention some of those things, I, I do think that uh, it's important that I do clarify, he definitely does not belong to that group where you had guys like Elijah Moore or even, you know, uh, Diami Brown. He's definitely not in there. But if you are looking at this fourth round draft capital, and obviously for what I thought he might have been able to produce, it's disappointing that is disappointing, but the situation that he finds himself in might be one of the better situations be that you could find yourself in for a disappointment because it's not like there are other wide receivers that this team took before you in the draft, and there is what might be a bit of a fluid situation at wide receiver. So, you know, maybe I do need to temper the enthusiasm I first pushed onto the masses. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I do think it is an intriguing landing spot. We'll have to see. What happens there? Uh, I had lined up four players I wanted you to give me one-minute thoughts on. Uh, we are going to skip that, and we are only going to pick one of these names. So you can see the list. Pick one of these guys. Give me a one-minute thought on them. Okay, I'm going to okay. name the four. Then I'm just going to talk about the one yep. that, that I want. Um, okay, uh, Kenny Nwangwu, uh for... Minnesota, uh, Ramondre Stevenson for New England, uh, Chuba Hubbard in Carolina, and Jalen Darden with with the Bucks. Um, all guys that we'll talk about at some point. Chuba Hubbard. Uh, let's spend a, just a second there. You know, has that two thousand uh, yard rushing season under his belt. Uh, we saw Mike Davis be for a very fleeting moment um, a running back one in fantasy, filling in for Christian McCaffrey in twenty twenty, and, and and he's gone. Um, and he wasn't very good either, um, but he was able to do it because of uh, how that Carolina offense functions. Um, some people will see this as, uh, well, I wish he would have gone to a place he could win the job. Well, no, he kind of just becomes a priority handcuff uh, in this situation. So Hubbard doesn't get the immediate lift that you'd want. You know, had the Niners taken him and he had Trey Sermon situation, we'd be much more excited about Chuba Hubbard. But I don't think this is like the death of him. 
Um, we've already seen McCaffrey endure an injury um, now, and he's you know he's getting a little bit long in the tooth for running backs. Uh, so yeah, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard is a worthy stash. Yeah, you know the one thing that I want to add to that, uh, and I'll just do it very briefly. Wasn't that long ago that Todd Gurley looked like this player that was going to be the absolute must-have asset? in fantasy football and look how quickly that fell off i don't feel like that's the case with christian mccaffrey but you just never know and it's something you always have to keep in mind so we can close out on that note unless you wanted to interject nope you're good all right takes us to the end of this episode please send us in some more questions or some comments at 978-615-9214 i have sent off a t-shirt already to a listener you want to be that next listener, make sure to go leave us a review and we will see you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.